Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 65, we discuss several different topics, including an interview with uh, Andres Cantor from Telemundo about the World Cup, as well as our thoughts about the Champions League from this past week and tons of news and also, of course, uh, MLS TV ratings. So, uh, my name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? Uh, good. Really good. Uh, it's, it's that time of the year still where there's, you mean, still, I mean, so many, so many great soccer games on. Uh, and also, I think I think in some ways uh, we're being stretched thin. I mean, we're having like some of these late night, uh, 11 p.m. Eastern kickoffs in the uh, CONCACAF Champions League. And then uh, with the time change, everything's all screwed up. <laughs> but I, I, I'm still enjoying it. Uh, hopefully you are too. So, yeah, the, the time change got me this week in terms of uh, you wait for Champions League. I didn't see any of it because it's an hour later. I'm in an office. So I'm wrapping up my day, then getting on the road and driving home. So I missed it. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an adjustment. I mean, because for me, uh, I, have, I have kids. So sometimes picking up kids from school or and it kind of interferes with that. Uh, I, I, I watched all the games, but uh, it, it's an adjustment. One hour makes a big, big change. <laughs> we'll save that for another podcast in terms of talking about the uh, daylight saving time. All right. So uh, we've got a lot going on in this episode. So let's start off, Kartik, by talking about uh, what we've been watching this past week. And uh, I'll have you kick it off and we'll, we'll go through day by day. Yeah, so I uh, I didn't see anything on Thursday or Friday. Uh, Saturday morning was uh, uh, the early Liverpool Manchester kickoff, and was real excited for that match. Got up an hour early to watch a pregame on NBC, and Rebecca Lowe was back hosting, and uh, Kyle Martino now seems very comfortable once again. Well, he never was not comfortable, but it, it feels like he never left, right? Mm-hmm. So things are back to normal. There's some normalcy about the NBC crew. Three-man booth at at, at Anfield, or excuse me, at Old Trafford. Arlo White back on the mic. Uh, Lee Dixon, Graham Lasso. All the build-up, all the hype. Is Mourinho going to park the bus? Uh, will he open up? How will Klopp force this match open? And unfortunately, I mean, I thought it was a good match. It was entertaining, but it was unfortunately sort of predictable that United would go very direct, get a goal or two. Brilliant decision by Mourinho to start Marcus Rashford, something he doesn't do very often or hadn't done, actually, in two months. 
uh, at the time. And uh, that forced uh, uh, Liverpool to, uh, to, to to chase the game. And they, they almost they almost uh, they almost equalized at the end. Right. They had several corners, a succession of great chances and half chances. But uh that was uh, that was interesting because I think it was once again NBC's full um, full team uh, activated uh, back in the saddle. Now the the early start time uh, owed itself more to um, to China, right, and and the Far East and right. and, and uh, the uh, that market where Premier League rights continue to explode. If you look at at, at, the, at the latest package in China, uh, how much. Uh, uh, how much the Premier League is netting from that pre, uh, compared to the previous deal? So I, what we oh go ahead. I, w- I would say though, Kartik too. I mean, for me, I, I, in terms of the analysis in this one, and sometimes the three-man booth, um, I'm not a big fan of. Uh, it's sometimes people talking over each other and just just incessantly people talking. But one instance in this game, which was really a good uh, crystallization of, of of how it does work well sometimes is when you had Lee Dixon uh, and Graham Lasso and Arlo White, all of them talking about uh, Lovren and Van Dyke's positioning to try to stop the aerial threat of Lukaku. And it, it, they saw it early on in terms of what United's tactics were. I thought it was a little bit unpredictable. I wasn't expecting this, but but that's just me. But w- when it did happen, they were really studying Lovren and saying, okay, in terms of what he should be doing, whether he should be going up for those aerial duels or whether he should be just trying to, I mean, nudge his arm or elbow into the back of uh, Lukaku to throw him off, just know that he's there. And that I thought was good. And, and that's something too that um, the analysis, that's what, that's the type of stuff I want I want to I hear. I want to hear a uh, kind of in-game ma- uh, analysis where it makes me look at the, the the game that's happening before my eyes and go, okay, let's watch that. Let's see how how the positioning is. And that's something too that oftentimes we don't get with uh, other commentators. Yeah. So this uh, was a rare a match. This in the last season or two for NBC, in that most of the uh, the uh, matches where they've had a three-man booth, they've had a, a full setup around. Uh, around the match have been either uh, 11 a.m. Eastern time uh, start times on the um, on the East Coast of the U.S. or 12:30 p.m. Eastern time start times uh, on the East Coast of the U.S. So what we got used to in the days when Fox used to have the rights in the United States was the big matches being on very early because they were focusing on the Asian market. This is the first uh, game I can remember this season that might have been that way. That might have been that early. Now we've had some. 8.30 a.m., right, um, uh, kickoffs on Sundays of big matches where NBC's had a three-man booth and, and their entire weekend presentation has been focused around around the, the one match or at least a, a good chunk of their weekend presentation. So yeah. uh, it was kind of harkening uh, back to an older era in, in that sense. But uh, but, but in some ways, though, too, Kartik, I think, I think kind of the Champions League uh, makes that decision easier. I mean, United with a game on Tuesday – I'm sure United was looking at, okay, let's get the earliest possible uh, fixture in on that op- on that weekend. Uh, it just so happens that it's against Liverpool, which is a, a major game. Um, still, we'll, we'll get into TV ratings a little bit later, but um, but yeah, for Asia, it, it's it's a it's a slam dunk. I mean, two of the biggest teams in in Great Britain playing against each other. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I felt like um, that that uh, probably obviously uh, inhibited the rating, as did. Um, Quite honestly, 
a lot of United fans may be looking ahead to Champions League, feeling like they're out of the uh, Premier League race, and Liverpool fans, uh, the elation of, of going to Champions League quarterfinals, and this will be, uh, boy, I, I don't remember the last time. I, I guess it would be 2007 would be the last time Liverpool got further than Manchester United in the Champions League. So this is, uh, I, I believe, and I, I'm just thinking offhand, the 6 7 season might have been the last time uh, when and that was when uh, United lost to AC Milan in the semifinals. Liverpool then lost to them in the final in uh, in Athens. Boy, so so this is actually uh, even though they they uh, gotten one point against them in the league and, and lost this league fixture, this is a, a time uh, in, in many ways because we know Liverpool supporters and actually a lot of Manchester United supporters look at Europe first. Uh, that this is a a good time for Liverpool. But moving on, uh, the, the three p.m kickoffs in, in, in uh, British Standard Time, 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time. Uh, kind of check them all out. Uh, nothing that interesting. I mean, I'm sure you want to comment on the Swansea game. Uh, you get set off after nine minutes. Somehow they got a draw. I mean, Swansea is just on this remarkable run right now. Yeah. I mean, this one, Kartik, I mean, for me, so so I, I had uh, one of my one of my kids was playing soccer at a soccer game at that time. So I had to go on uh, – basically switch off all phones, switch off all communications and then come back several hours later to watch this game and watch it live. Well, it felt live. It wasn't. And, and then not knowing what the score was. But I mean, yes, uh, for those who missed it, uh, Jordan Ayew getting sent off in, in the ninth minute. So Swansea had to play for 80 minutes with 10 men. Not only did they play with 80 minutes for 10 men, but there was uh, seven minutes uh, added time. Uh, from the first half and second half uh, combined. So 87 minutes with 10 men. They had 19% possession. They had zero shots on goal. Huddersfield had 30 shots on goal. Oh, actually, th- 30 shots uh, total. Uh, some of them weren't on goal, but 30 shots. And in this game, this, it felt like a huge win. This was a, an incredible result. Um, I mean, for Swansea, obviously, I mean, every point at this stage matters. I mean, getting a, a, a draw, getting one point is a huge lift especially with the, the relegation battle so, so congested with the teams just separated by points and goal difference. But, uh, but for me, Kartik, for Huddersfield, this is a, it's a, not a good look. I mean, yes, Swansea's a good team in terms of the way they're set up and they're hard to break down. But to play for 90 minutes, almost 90 minutes, with, with uh, an extra man, uh, with the vast majority of the possession, to have 30 shots... Um, made and still not get a goal it's, it's a bad look for Huddersfield and it's, it's really a warning sign for them but so I missed this though Kartik so when when all this well when, when I was at my daughter's soccer game and I came back and, and then saw, saw the Huddersfield Swansea game and then I heard about the, the West Ham Burnley game and I missed it so I watched the highlights watched the game highlights of this one I think on NBCSports.com I think it was and there was nothing about the pitch invasion nothing about the stadium at all I thought, oh, that's kind of strange. But there was, a, I guess, a follow-up uh, video that came right after it that went into more detail about the pitch invasion. So um, I missed it. Did you get a chance to, to watch any of the footage of the pitch invasion and everything that happened? And what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had expressed uh, to the chagrin of many of our listeners on our predecessor podcast, World Soccer Talk, my uh uh, my concerns about West Ham moving into that stadium, my feeling uh, going back to 20, 2011, it's been a pretty consistent position I've had, my feeling that uh, you have a couple of elements that are, are problematic, which is one, 
trying to have security for an, a stadium that size to West Ham's fan base not being as large as Tottenham's, who was the other uh, club, a uh, big club that, that was thinking about moving to that stadium. Now, it would have been kind of a relocation in terms of geography completely for a North London club. But even for West Ham, it's still about three and a half, four miles, I, I believe, from the bowling ground. Um, the, the the fact that it's a longer walk from the train station to, um, to that ground, uh, the fact that it's not really kind of uh, built for a football ground, which would, as a football ground, which would create um, a more of a distant, um, distant relationship between supporters and, uh, and, and, and the game and, and would affect uh, viewing on television and in person. And then obviously in order to, to, to justify um, the giveaway of that stadium to West Ham, the, the what is virtually a giveaway of that stadium to West Ham and uh, the, uh, the, the they're, they're controlling that facility. The ticket prices have been dropped, which um, this is a difficult subject. You don't really want to get into it. And we're not going to get into it on this show, but uh, I will just tease it saying that there has been a feeling among many around English football that the higher ticket prices that we feel like, and I often feel like disenfranchise a lot of supporters is useful in some places because it keeps a certain element out of the grounds. Now we have seen trouble at West Ham since they moved into that stadium. Okay, this wasn't a one-off. This wasn't the first time something had happened. I, I think back to the League Cup tie against Chelsea, uh, I guess maybe a month after they moved into the stadium in 2016, September of 2016, October of 2016, uh, the talk of violence on the route from the underground station to the ground, and then some of the crowd trouble between Chelsea and West Ham supporters, who of course have a history, and they have a history of this sort of thing, uh, at, at, during that match day. So, um yeah, it's unfortunate. I think that it's a it, it's it's a big problem. There's also a situation where West Ham United is not playing entertaining football. They're a club whose supporters. Now, this is cliche-ish, Chris, but we if you talk to West Ham supporters, they are almost as concerned about, if not more concerned about the style of football and the entertainment level versus the results. I can remember the year they were down in the championship. Some of them were saying, well, uh, Sam Allardyce was their manager. He got them back up. But some West Ham fans I speak to said, you know what, we'd rather just stay in the championship and play our football rather than this dire stuff and have to watch this dire stuff. They're a club with that specific uh, ethos. They're a great British club, right? That's what they are. Um, great English club, I should say, with, with uh, yeah. Bobby Moore, Jeff Hurst, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Trevor think, Brooking was at the game, so he saw all this happen. Yeah, I, with insights. I, I think it's a it's a mixed bag. I mean, you, you, you do have some West Ham supporters who want to see the club go down, and uh, hopefully, then things can fix themselves and they come back up, uh, you know, a better club, a better team. Um, but then you've got other West Ham supporters that have said, okay, well, they've been down before. Uh, with the same owners, and they've come back up, and it's it's the same, if not worse. Um, but to me, to me, all of this, all these issues stem from the club not playing well on the pitch. I mean, losing last week to well, two weeks ago to, to Swansea four one, then losing at, at home to Burnley, and Burnley's you mean a great team this this season and very well organized. And Ashley Barnes is you mean Chris Woods. You got some really good players, but. In West Ham support, support supporters' minds, learn, losing to Burnley at home three nil. I mean, they're looking down on Burnley. They're thinking, okay, Burnley is just this uh, second-rate team, while West Ham has all of this tradition think, and history. 
you think maybe, uh, speaking of the match, uh, Everton could still use Aaron Lennon? <laughs> it's been a different player since he went to Burnley. Uh, and that might account, that might be uh, about Sean Dyche as a yeah. manager. Well, uh, what, take- what, so, so, so I, missed, I missed the game itself, but then I watched the highlights. And the highlights, I mean, the first half, it was all West Ham. Second half, it was all Burnley. But what I did, I, I went, went ahead and went to YouTube and watched um, a video from a YouTube account called Hammers Chat. And I highly recommend it, even if you're not a West Ham supporter, if you want to find out what's going on at this club to, to better understand what happened that day. And it's a guy, you mean, before the game, pre-match, talking to the West Ham supporters, getting kind of a, their feelings about the team selection and this, that and the other, and then going into the stadium and then just seeing what happens and filming it and giving the, the feedback from the West Ham supporters. To me, it was enlightening to get a really good feel for what's happening uh, inside this club. And it, and it all stems, uh, for this particular game, it stems back from in the second half. And uh, they said that uh, Sean Dyke, uh, Dyche, uh, basically did a masterclass against Moyes and that Moyes wasn't playing with a striker. Sean Dyke made the change, brought on Chris Wood, and it changed the game completely. And um, Moyes took quite a long time to bring on, I think, Chicharito as a sub. And by that point, the game was already lost. And, and, that's, and that's where it stems from, is that, that toxic atmosphere is from fans being dissatisfied with the way the club is playing on the pitch. But then once that happens, they start looking at everything else. They start looking at the board, the wrong, the bad decisions that they've made in terms of transfer signings, and then they look at the move uh, to the Olympic Stadium, and and that just makes things, I mean, even worse than, than what it, what they are. If they were winning and winning matches, I think it wouldn't be an issue, wouldn't be as much of an issue. And then Kartik, uh, Moyes takes the team to Miami, uh, and there's pictures of them on the, on the beach at the Fountain Blue Hotel on Miami Beach, in beautiful hotel. And um, that's where they are now. So they're probably about an hour uh, south of us uh, on the beach having sun for some warm weather training because they're not playing for a couple of weeks. It's, cra- it's crazy. I mean, I, I guess in Moises' defense, uh, this pl- uh, trip had been planned for a while. But th- the timing of this is, is really awful for uh, West Ham United and, and the yeah. supporters. And Golden Sullivan and, and Karen Brady as, as the chief executive. Obviously, this same team uh, of, of uh, owners and executives were not well liked at Birmingham City and got run out of that club. But to a certain extent, by supporters, they've never really been trusted at West Ham. I think there's been a feeling going back to Karen Brady's infamous comments that they would rebrand the club West Ham Olympic to get the stadium right. Uh, and to honor the athletics tradition of, of that of that ground, this was back in 2011. There's been a feeling those owners and that leadership team is distant from the supporters. Uh, I think either Gold or Sullivan, and maybe it was Sullivan, says he grew up a West Ham supporter. Uh, he's from the East End, but that doesn't that hasn't mollified the views of supporters uh, toward them. They now own the club for eight years. Things have not gotten better, and I. I just don't see this ending well, honestly. And uh, unfortunately, they can't go back to the bowling ground that's being redeveloped right. uh, as we speak. I don't know. I, I This is what I feared for years, that this was going to be a bad move for West Ham and that they were – they they had a cl- they were a club with an ethos, Chris, and this is important for listeners to understand. Everybody wants to wants their club to be massive. They want their club to be big. They want their club to sell shirts in Asia and in the United States and get all this TV money. West Ham is a classic. English club that embody the East End of London and the working class ethos and even some of the ethnic diversity now that's come into the East End of London. They do not need to be Tottenham, Arsenal or Chelsea. 
Okay, but Golden Sullivan felt like we needed to compete with those clubs on a global scale, uh, re, uh, kind of rebrand the club, make it into this big thing to get commercial dollars. That's not right for every club. And that's a lesson, I think, to clubs all over the world, including here in the United States, uh, everywhere, that um, sometimes when you have an identity and you have a, a, uh, a history, you respect that and you stick to that rather than wanting to chase uh, uh, money from all over the place and, and, and risk losing that identity. Yeah, just just as the Columbus crew is a fascinating story, uh, I think West Ham United is too, in, in a different way. But um, I mean, the risk is obviously that there's, there's a good chance they could get relegated if they keep on playing the way they're playing. Uh, hopefully they'll bounce back uh, when they get back from this break. But um, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating to watch. And uh, I got a feel for West Ham United supporters uh, going through all of this. And, uh, and Moyes is definitely in a, in a tough position where he's got to keep this team up. And, um, and then behind the scenes, they have to try to repair the damages uh, for, to this club in terms of the way it's been run. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing that too. I mean, when clubs are winning, uh, everything's rosy. Uh, Swansea is a good example of that. Now that they're winning games, and uh, this very there's not a lot of talk about uh, the American owners or dissatisfaction with American owners, etc. Um, but when the club is starting to lose games and it gets depressing, um, it does turn toxic. And uh, no matter no matter what club it is. All right, Kartik, let's move on. So, what else uh, was there? Anything else you watched on sa- Saturday? Okay, so we also had a game between uh, Bayer uh, and Mönchengladbach, Bayer Leverkusen, who continue to really impress. And this is an interesting year, for I think, for us, Chris, having visited Leverkusen, having visited Schalke a few seasons ago, having visited Dortmund. Uh, those, those three clubs all, at this point, would qualify for the Champions League. Uh, Leverkusen playing very well. This was, a, uh, I, I thought, a pretty decisive, a good match they played against Mönchengladbach. Uh, to win 2-0. I, I also saw snippets of, of Hoffenheim uh, beating Wolfsburg, who are just, um, uh, I, I don't even know how to describe how poor that club has been the last uh, year and a half, in spite of management changes, in spite of uh, signing some interesting uh, players. Uh, but uh, so Leverkusen continues to roll on uh, in the champ- uh, in, in the in the Bundesliga, and it's looking like for Leipzig, their best shot of getting back in the Champions League might be to win the Europa League. So watch that space uh, as we get down to the end of the Europa League campaign. Also, Chelsea Palace, Derek Ray and Danny Higginbotham. Derek Ray was not calling a Bundesliga game on Saturday. He was calling a game for NBC Sports uh, with Danny Higginbotham at the bridge. Chelsea won, and Golo Conte returned. Uh, I thought uh, Ray and Higginbotham were brilliant as usual. Uh, but I, there was something very unnerving about Chelsea's performance in that match. Wilfred Zaha comes back for Palace. Uh, Chris, as we look at the uh, relegation fight in the Premier League, I think Crystal Palace is going to get out of this with Zaha back and with uh, their other players back. I think Swansea, I know Swansea is still, you're probably very nervous still given the point total, but the way they're playing, they should be fine. I think now we, we can hone in on five teams for relegation. Uh, Huddersfield, uh, who really needed the three points given the the advantage they were given against uh, um, Swansea, Huddersfield, West Brom, West Ham, Stoke, and Southampton. Three of the five will come from uh, three will come from those five, I think. And West Brom pretty much down. Um, also, watch the uh, Tigres Tijuana game, uh, Club Tijuana Zolo's uh, match later that night on Univision Deportes. I wanted to get a look at uh, MLS's CONCACAF uh, Champions League competition for the upcoming week and also really uh, enjoy 
uh, the way Tigres plays. Kept an eye on Orlando and uh, Minnesota on MLS Live or on MLSsoccer.com. A very, very good game for Ethan Finley, a player who maybe should be looked at in the U.S. player pool. Um, unfortunately, Kevin Molino stretched off a former Orlando City great at both the USL and MLS level. Now with Minnesota with his old manager, Adrian Heath. Uh, and uh, we've learned now it's an ACL tear and he will be out for a long time. And that probably, even though it's week two, that's probably curtains on Minnesota's season. So uh, that was the rest of the Saturday for me. Yeah, and actually, just to rewind slightly, Kartik, I did watch a couple of games on the Thursday and Friday. The Thursday was the Europa League, uh, Milan against uh, Arsenal. And on that one, Keith Costigan continues to improve as a commentator. Um, I mean, it's all, it's all, all, he's getting better as he does uh, more and more games. Um, and I think Friday was the, the Mines against Schalke game, and that was a, uh, a pretty poor game, except for one beautiful goal by uh, Caligiuri for Schalke. And, uh, I should mention, I, I forgot to mention, I did watch the Milan-Arsenal game. And uh, it's amazing what Arsenal can do when they're away from London. <laughs> well, the funny, the funny thing is, is like for like maybe like what, they had what, 45 minutes pregame. And for about 40 minutes of those 45 minutes, it was all, it was like hate week from uh, 1984 by George Orwell. If you've seen the movie or read the book. But it was all for 40 minutes, just all against uh, Wenger, like, why isn't Wenger more uh, vocal? Why isn't he getting up? And and you mean, you mean it was all anti <laughs> Wenger for about forty minutes, and and, and I, I had a feeling that Arsenal would bounce back, that they would get the result, um, and and of course then the, the subject changes, and you mean it's 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 you mean that, that consistency is the thing that we're missing with Arsenal, but I just thought it was a little bit funny that um, both I think Stuart Holden and Warren Barton went just all at uh, uh, Wenger on that one. Yeah, that's it. I think uh, Fox now has learned that that sells much the way ESPN FC uh, has the whole year. I mean, look, yeah. the ESPN FC program for the last two weeks has either been uh, a Mourinho night or Wenger night. I mean, there's been no – that's that's really every day that they, they pick a topic. I haven't watched yesterday's show yet, uh, post-Conte Barcelona, but um, they, they Mourinho still gets picked on when he wins like he did against Liverpool because – of the feeling is well, he was too. Uh, he was uh, playing too directly in the first half. Okay, they got the two goals, but then the second half they sat back, right? So, um, I think both these managers, and we see we see how media the media affects Mourinho, right? We saw his him lash out at Frank De Boer this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, this is going to continue. I think it, it, even in the U.S. press towards both Mourinho and and Wenger, and obviously the Mourinho discussion. Uh, then was had, uh, we haven't gotten there yet, I'm sorry, but that was then had on Fox on, on Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. So so on Sunday, I watched the Atlanta-DC United game. Uh, I watched the first half of this game, and, and this is like the second week in a row now with Major League Soccer that I've watched just a half of a game just because one of the teams was so good and the other team was so poor. And in this one, it was uh, all Atlanta United, um, really unimpressed by DC United in this match. Um, but the inter- the attendance, uh, MLS record, was fantastic to see a full house there at uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium and a uh, great atmosphere and, and a great win for Atlanta United. Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I completely forgot this game was going on and I was watching the college basketball game that was on immediately preceding uh, the Atlanta uh, DC game, which then spilled over into the time slot, which college basketball always does. We talk about that almost every week. Uh, and it was like, oh, okay, this game is on. So I kept the television on. I had forgotten that game was on because I was preparing to watch 
uh, Inter and uh, Napoli on uh, on VN, which I did watch at the same time, which I was a match I enjoyed. I know people see nil nil and they see Serie A and they think, oh my gosh, I couldn't watch that. But it was a very good tactical battle. Spalletti had his team trying to play more directly to counter uh, the, the press, the high pressing of Napoli. Napoli, though, um, needed they needed three points, right? And now we're beginning to get nervous that this title race in, in Italy is beginning to it's beginning to take on the same form that previous title races where Juve have faced competition but it pulled away in February or March. That, that the same thing is happening this season, coupled with the uh, result the previous week at home against Roma. Where they gave him four goals, four uh, lost four two, that this could be ending. But this was a this was a good broadcast. I, I enjoyed the game. I did not really enjoy the Atlanta DC game, which I had on at the same time. So I can't give you anything tangible from that match. Once, uh, I, as I said, I wouldn't have even had that match on if it hadn't been for the SEC championship game before. And once uh, the games on turf, the game start, DC was really poor, as you said. I, my attention shifted to the uh, to the Serie A match. So what about uh, any other games on Sunday, Kartik? No, no, that was it. Okay, so let's move on to Monday. Oh, uh, well, I, yeah, well, I guess the, the Premier League games in the morning, the, the Spurs-Brighton uh, Spurs game. Uh, oh, Spurs, Bournemouth. Bournemouth, excuse me. Yeah, that match, which um, we saw Harry Kane get injured, and um, that it was, uh, it, it was an odd day because here's the thing. Arsenal, when they win, uh, it seems like there's nothing to talk about. And they won 3-0, even though they didn't play particularly well, right? right. Uh, and so um, you, you almost have to suspend that Arsenal conversation. Um, and and that, that's, we're, that we're now so used to having that conversation. They played, they played well in, in Milan since they were on to Thursday and then that game. But yeah, I watched those two matches as well. Okay, so moving on to, uh, to Monday, we had the Stoke City against Manchester City game. Uh, Martin... Tyler uh, so eloquently put put it uh, during this broadcast um, in the commentating. He says the English dictionary is running out of superlatives to describe Manchester City this season. And yet again, uh, Kartik, a a really uh, entertaining performance by City. Uh, Stoke definitely a fighting, but uh, just completely outclassed by a team that's just... uh, on song, I mean, it's just it's, it's a team that makes makes things look so easy in terms of uh, the build-up play, the teamwork. It's, it's the teamwork, especially these these goals. You I mean the, the number of players that they're passing to and the the runs off the ball, uh, just precision and, and, and a joy to watch. Yeah, and the Manchester City supporters, a lot of the other ones uh, beside myself, get angry when I say this. Although there are some that agree with me uh, that. Uh, Sergio Aguero scores a lot of goals, and that's his utility. He scores goals, but the, the, the team plays better. And I actually did, there was some of this element even in the pre Pep days. The team plays better when he's not in the team. Uh, Jesus's movement as a number nine in Pep's system is more fluid and more interchangeable with uh, Sane and Sterling. And, and so you, you, you tend to get. Um, you tend to get better movement and more free-flowing football, believe it or not, without Aguero in there. Now, of course, no one on the club has a, a, a Aguero's finishing ability and ability to score goals. Uh, so th- this was 2-0. It might have been 4-0 with Aguero, right? But um, the football, I think, is better when he doesn't play. And that's that's a long-term observation of mine and saw it again in this game. Uh, one quick broadcast note on this game, Lee McHugh was the uh, NBC uh, NBC host, did a very good job. Uh, I noticed 
at the outtake, they were throwing at the NASCAR. He, he, he you know, he, he didn't wear glasses the whole, uh, the whole broadcast. He put his glasses on to read from the teleprompter. Probably, uh, did you notice that as well? Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was a little odd because, uh, so at least we know he wasn't reading from the teleprompter prior to that. Which is, but, which is good though too, cause he's probably more comfortable just, I mean, just kind of stringing it along, which it seems more yeah. natural rather than having to read word for words off the teleprompter. Which, which he's very good with. Um, and yeah. he, he did a very good job, again, as host of the typical Monday host for NBC's Monday games. But then that was just kind of odd because the outtake to the, to the Nats car, he has these big, these big uh, uh, gag, whatever, whatever term you would use. Like reading uh, glasses. Yeah, reading glasses. It's like, whoa, he wasn't wearing that before the break. <laughs> but anyway. Just so, 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 so on Tuesday, it was, uh, of course, uh, the big one, Kartik, uh, Roma against Shakhtar. No, I'm just joking. That, 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 that one was on Facebook Live. Uh, Roma advancing and uh, looking good. And then you had the Man United against Sevilla game. And, um, well, before we go into talking about the, the tactics and, and uh, these teams, these, these English teams in the Premier League, I just got to say that with Man United out, it's a big blow for Fox Sports um, in their final season of US rights to the UEFA Champions League. Uh, Man United always gets big numbers on the English language side. And uh, I'm sure that FS1 was kind of dreaming or Fox was dreaming of having a United Barca or United Real Madrid final or maybe a Real Madrid now and uh, Barca final. Wherever it may be, though, Kartik, Fox has had some really bad luck over the years with uh, the Champions League. And a lot of it comes back to the, the English teams getting knocked out. And a lot of it is it's the same complaint that I think we have year after year, which is defensively they're poor. What do you think? Yeah, and, and I think there's also a, an issue in terms of the ability of Manchester United to, uh, to, to, to control the midfield of these games, right? So he starts with Fellaini and, um, and, uh, and Matic, yeah. and they're getting run over in midfield, partly because I think he's seeing Fellaini as a guy who can go forward and, 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 um, and, and, and get uh, – target balls lobbed to him. It would be the same thing if he played Pogba. Now there would be a different dynamism. Uh, but but it's not, I don't think it's a coincidence, though, that uh, Sevilla's two goals and, and really the third shot that uh, uh, Ben Yedder should have, uh, the, the third chance he had that he should have buried, came after Pogba entered the match. Um, there's some limit in dynamism in that midfield with an injured Andre Herrera. And uh, if you talk to United fans who are more uh, attuned tactically and not... Uh, just watching these uh, games and transfers and saying, oh, well, Paul was a hundred million pound player or, 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 or what have you there. They seem to favor a midfield that includes Herrera because he's a fighter. He's a guy who can shadow the other team's best player. In this case, it would have been, would have been Venega and, um, and really take that fight, that kind of uh, a fight that United needs in the midfield with, with Carrick at the end of his career Uh Without Herrera, they, uh, in retrospect, not having Herrera was a big deal, and they, uh, they just didn't look it. I mean, they didn't, they didn't look it at all in the 180 minutes. It wasn't just in the second leg. So, right, uh, a, a lot for Mourinho to ponder now, or because the question now is, um, what happens to Jose Mourinho? They're not going to sack him, but United supporters who, again, this entertainment thing, as we talked about with West Ham. You better be getting results if you're not entertaining at Manchester United. And he's not getting 
pre-optimum uh, results, although the results have improved since Louis Van Hall. They've also spent a lot more money since Van Hall left uh, under Mourinho, and they're not entertaining. So um, that that's the, the question. And for Fox, this is, this is very important. They're now um, in a position where I think they're going to want Liverpool to go the distance and get to a final against either Barcelona or Real Madrid. We'll, we'll see the draw on Friday. Tomorrow, we're taking this Thursday morning. But I think for Fox's purposes in their final year leading into the World Cup, they're going to want a strong run now from Liverpool uh, since Manchester United's out. Yeah, and Manchester City uh, doesn't have a lot of spectators, uh, supporters yeah. in the United States yet. And that's the thing, too. I got some uh, heat on my comments on, on Twitter saying about it's a big blow for Fox with uh, Man United out. And heat from some people in the industry saying, like, what do you mean? Like, that makes no difference. Well, it does make a difference because um, without, say, a Premier League side in the Champions League final or in the latter stages of the Premier League, um, of the, the Champions League, is that you, you lose that audience. A lot of people will tune out and will, won't watch a uh, Juventus against Real Madrid final because they don't watch La Liga. They don't watch Serie A. They should watch both of those, but they don't. So, well, so, so Liverpool, with a huge supporters base and with the Premier League audience, would bring a, a bigger audience to a, a final um, than, than, than a Juventus let me against uh, Barca. Throw, throw this out there. NBC's Premier League rating stagnated last season, not this season. This season, we've seen, we've seen a fall. Uh, they stagnated last season. My theory, and I think we've talked about this before on the show, yep. what Obviously, sports ratings were down. Uh, maybe the Premier League has hit a saturation point in the United States, but also Man United finishing sixth in the league, Man United not being in the title race, uh, Mourinho playing the type of football he was playing. That all has an impact because Man- Manchester United in most markets, the United States market, Latin America, Asia, uh, although Asia, Chelsea is kind of almost a parody with them, uh, Africa, although Arsenal is almost a parody with them there, and Chelsea's got some. Uh, some, some some support. But in most global markets outside the UK, they are the driver of the Premier League, for better or for worse. And anytime I say this to Manchester City supporters, they get angry. There's just not that many Manchester City supporters in the United States. There's just not that many around the globe. It's improving. They're not just not as many Chelsea supporters, or, or, although Chelsea's now out of the Champions League too, so it's a moot conversation in terms of this tournament. But the reality is Manchester United is a huge driver, even for NBC, uh, they're not going to win the title this year, but they're being back in second mm-hmm. and, and beating Liverpool and, 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 and getting some of the results they've gotten, I think has helped NBC's ratings, quite frankly. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge factor. I mean, with United, when they do have a, a poor season or poorer season than they usually do, uh, the, the ratings drop dramatically. So um, so it's Karthik now on Tuesday night. I, I didn't see any of the CONCACAF Champions League games this week, but uh, what are your thoughts about uh, Tuesday night's uh, broadcast? Yeah, so... Uh, the Red Bulls look very good, very uh, comfortable down in uh, Tijuana. Now, I have to say, when you play at Tijuana, it is Mexico, but there's kind of it, it is American fans there. It's 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 a little different, right? It's not like going it's not like going to uh, Azteca and playing Club America. It's not the same thing, right? It's not like going to Jalisco and playing Chivas. So, uh, New York comfortable victory. Yes, it's an MLS victory in Mexico. Credit to New York Red Bulls. I think Jesse Marsh, for me, if the, if the U.S. is going to appoint an American coach, I've been saying this consistently since before the U.S. was eliminated from qualifying. That's the guy that's at the top of my list. He integrates youth players. He's used his reserve team well to, to deepen his squad, to be competitive at the CONCACAF level. They play football. They at least try and play football the right way. Uh, they Their possession 
our friend Chris, uh, Coach Chris Falk, who has the Possession with the Purpose um, index. Uh, New York Red Bull is always at the top of that for MLS, and he's pragmatic enough to to be defensive when he needs to, but but likes good passing football. So New York wins, and then obviously Tigres TFC, the titanic battle between arguably the two best teams in this confederation. Uh, TFC wins on away goals. Tigres wins the second leg. Great match, some controversial officiating, just a great spectacle for CONCACAF. It's unfortunate for CONCACAF, they only have a few of these clubs that can play at that high level. Um, and then also kind of a touching story uh, after the match where uh, Andre Pierre Gignac, uh, the French superstar for Tigres, went to the TFC bus to give his shirt to one of the TFC players. So a lot of mutual respect there as well. Iconics, let's move on to Wednesday and uh, Champions League matches. Uh, there was the, the Besiktas against Bayern Munich uh, early game at one o'clock Eastern time. I watched most of this match and I, I always enjoy watching uh, Besiktas play uh, because their fans are so passionate about, about the, the, the club. And even losing 8-1 on aggregate, the fans were still uh, on their feet, singing loudly and proudly, as loud as ever. And, uh, and also gave Bayern a standing ovation at the end of the game. So uh, I've always been a big fan of Besiktas. Well, actually, since 2006, when I first saw them play on Satanta Sports against Spurs in the UEFA Cup at, at their own stadium, their old, their old stadium. And they just had an incredible noise and passion at that time. And I was just won over and, and I've always kind of had a, had a soft spot for Besiktas. But uh, Bayern advances, no, no surprise there. I wanted to watch this match because it was the Besiktas home leg and Besiktas being having the atmosphere you described. Uh, my office doesn't have FS2. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's, uh, that's that's yeah. That's a shame. That's what, what happens, uh, yeah. unfortunately, with FS2. And it's not that Fox isn't unaware of it. It's just they're at a point where I don't think uh, it's getting fixed yeah. in a lot of places. Which, which uh, for the World Cup, I mean, that's the good news is that no, none of the games are on FS2. So it's, uh, it's a reality I think the Fox has to deal with that uh, the numbers don't seem to be increasing at all. And if, if anything, they're decreasing in terms of number, number of subscribers. And it's just uh, they can't seem to get, get around that, that issue. And then watched uh, Barcelona against Chelsea. Uh, to me, I was not uh, entertained in this match. I, I, it was, uh, especially with, I mean, Barcelona were incredible, but it wasn't a two-sided match to me. Um, and I just wonder where this Chelsea team has gone, the one for, that was last season in the league that was so good. And at the time I was thinking, okay, wouldn't this be wonderful if they were in the Champions League because they were so strong uh, versus the team that we have now, which is uh, a pale shadow of themselves. I mean, so, so many, many mistakes, so many chances just blown and uh, a really poor performance from, from Chelsea in this one, and uh, Barcelona advances. So, Kartik, on Wednesday, did you get a chance to watch any of the, the CONCACAF Champions League matches? Yeah, I should point out that I didn't see the Chelsea-Barca game either. I, uh, I didn't see the Sevilla-Man United game live as well, as well, but I did watch it on DVR and watch the match in, in its entirety and, and the post-game. The Chelsea-Barca match, I have to be honest with you, I haven't even bothered. I'll probably delete it from my DVR. There doesn't seem to be a point. Uh, yeah, I watched Chivas in Seattle late on Wednesday night in the CONCACAF uh, Champions League. And Seattle played okay in the first half. After that, it seemed like their fitness levels, maybe, again, this is, has to do with the MLS calendar being misaligned for international competitions, being misaligned for anything, quite frankly. Uh, their fitness levels weren't good in the second half. Uh, they, didn't, uh, they, they, they didn't even really show after halftime. And, and Chivas 
uh, pulled them apart and uh, uh, overcame that first leg deficit and, and won uh, 3-1 and uh, move on. So the CONCACAF Champions League, just real quickly, Chris, we could have a super classical final, America and Chivas, or we could have an all MLS final, Red Bulls and Toronto. And also Red Bulls in Toronto had some, uh, uh, although Sasha Kleistens moved out to Orlando, had some uh, trouble last season, if you know, if you remember at the end of uh, the season and in, in the postseason. Uh, but unfortunately for CONCACAF, we'll probably get some split split decision, right? One MLS team, one Liga Emekis team. And yeah, you'll have uh, the MLS uh, chorus of MLS fans uh, uh, on social media supporting whatever MLS team is in the final. But it could be really big for CONCACAF if they could get a super classical final or if they could get an all MLS final. Um, but the difference will probably be split. Yeah, the, the, the timing of this, Kartik, is, is unfortunate for Fox because, I mean, Fox had the rights to the CONCACAF Champions League last season and for a few seasons. But no one was yeah. watching it because the MLS teams kept, kept on getting uh, blown out. Um, and they were really kind of boring matches to watch that very one-sided with uh, very few people in, in attendance in the stadium, so a really poor television product. And now finally, the CONCACAF Champions League is, is, is interesting again, and uh, the games aren't on um, English-language television. They're on, yeah. they're on Go90 for, for English, and um, they're on uh, Univision Deportes for Spanish language. So, um, yeah, the timing's way off there, but, but maybe this can... Uh, this can encourage maybe a TV partner uh, down the road to, to maybe ne- next year uh, to maybe show some of these games on the English language side. Yeah, and, I, and I'll admit that I've been watching these games on, on Univision Deportes. I uh, I don't know. It, it don't take this the wrong way, listeners, but I, I don't even want to get into the frustration of Go90 in the middle of uh, ma- uh, matches, you know, uh, matches of this significance. So maybe... I- Maybe it's okay. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean, for me, from from personal uh, experience, so with Go ninety, so some of these games I ha- I have watched uh, maybe a few minutes here, a few minutes there, and um, most of the times I'll go to Go ninety first uh, to go ahead and, and see it. And when I'm on my mobile phone, it's pretty easy to find the game, um, and the, the the stream is really good quality. Uh, commentating, huh, it's okay. But uh, when I've gone to the website, so like last night, I think I went to go90.com looking for um, the game. I think it was the, the Seattle game, and I couldn't find it. I'm like, okay, I know you guys are broadcasting it live. I know it's on right now, and I'm on the Go90 website, and I can't find it. Um, so for whatever reason, the mobile app is definitely easier to find what you're looking for. Website needs a lot of work, uh, but the quality has been good from what I've seen. I just haven't had the time to, to actually sit down and, and watch the games. So um, I, I, I got other things going on. All right, speaking of other things going on, Kartik, I got, uh, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, so Steve Nash has uh, been officially unveiled. We've actually heard the rumors for many weeks, right? As one of the panels for Turner Sports Champions League coverage, in an interview with Grant Wall, uh, Nash says the job is a dream come true for him. And that the Champions League studio will be headquartered, surprisingly, in Los Angeles, not in Atlanta, which gives Turner better access to soccer talent and established soccer voices. So good decision there, although you wonder logistically, infrastructure wise, how Turner does that, given everything else they do is in Atlanta, including their train wreck of a NCAA selection show the other day. So um, they'll have to have producers, they'll have to have uh, TV execs will have to have the appropriate uh, uh, backroom talent as well in uh, in Los Angeles. 
Yeah, the one thing about Steve Nash in this interview with uh, Grant Wall, which is on the podcast that Grant does, um, it's it's actually it was opening eye opening to me. I, I knew that Steve Nash had uh, soccer experience, coming from a soccer family, playing the game, supporting the team, but this interview probably about forty five to fifty percent of it goes into talking about his passion for the game and his his knowledge of the game, his understanding of the game, his ties to the game. And this really is a, a guy that grew up in a, in a soccer family that eats, lives, and breathes soccer and, and admits that he's more excited about soccer, more passionate about soccer than he is about basketball. Uh, and it's coming from, from a basketball legend. Yeah, so, former NBA MVP, by the way, for people who don't know that. I mean, this is a great player. Right. So if you do get a chance, if, if you're questioning whether Steve Nash uh, is going to be a good soccer fit, uh, definitely go ahead and listen to the Grant Wall interview because uh, you will be convinced <laughs> that he, he he knows his stuff. Now, whether he's any good talent-wise uh, in front of the camera, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I'm, I'm sure he'll be he'll be fine, but uh, but still, it, it's a big uh, big move for Turner Sports and. Uh, that will kick off in uh, August of, two, of 2018. This, it'll be here before you know it. Now, moving on, Kartik, uh, Twitter made a big announcement this week. They've signed a three-year deal to stream at least 24 Major League Soccer matches per season uh, on Twitter. The broadcasts are from Univision and will feature English-language commentary, and the deal is for, for the U.S. only. So what it means is that... Um, the Saturday games that Univision, mostly Saturday, they have some Friday games too, but mostly Saturday games that Univision has, uh, Saturday afternoon, sometimes 3.30, 4 o'clock uh, Eastern time, that they currently have in Spanish language on television, those will continue. But those games will be available also on Twitter, um, the same feed, except it's going to be an English language uh, commentary over that. So um, good news for Major League Soccer in terms of accessibility and uh, reach getting those games into, you know, hopefully into more people's hands, more, more fans watching these games. And for Twitter, it's a good deal in terms of uh, expanding their platform, trying to get encourage more people to be watching uh, live sports on, on social media. Yes. Uh, speaking of which, uh, this might be a case of me turning uh, lemons into lemonade. We'll see. The Chicago Fire has abandoned local TV and will stream all their games for the next, uh, actually for three seasons, I believe, on ESPN Plus, uh, the new streaming service coming from from Disney that we've talked extensively about on this program and on the WorldSoccerTalk.com site. Chris, what uh, people may not realize is that Chicago was not able to find a local television partner. And it was getting down to the 11th hour or past the 11th hour. It was basically 11.50 um, with, uh, with uh, the season kicking off. They, um, they made this decision, and I think it might end up being a trendsetter in sports. I mean, I've, in fact, for uh, another publication that have talked about that, that it might, uh, might prove to be that, even though it was done out of necessity. It was done because their backs were against the wall and they didn't have a regional sports affiliate in the Chicagoland area or um, an over-the-air channel willing to pick up their games. Yeah, I think the challenge on this one, Kartik, is just uh, having the fans jump through a bunch of hoops. So those fans in the Chicago area who might be uh, accustomed to watching uh, Chicago on local television uh, now have to go to MLSsoccer.com to watch those games there. And then ESPN Plus won't be available until, I believe, it was late April or early May, according to one of our sources. And then they're going to have to go to ESPN Plus and then pay $5 a month to watch the games through there. 
Now, the, the, the good thing is, is that uh, ESPN Plus is pretty promising in terms of what it's offering. The bad thing, though, Kartik, is that the, there are people out there that uh, don't have high-speed internet, that don't have the latest smartphones, that do watch television and, and watch the sports on television. So that cuts them out of this whole equation. Um, I mean, of course, those numbers are declining, but still, it's uh, it's a change. It's a change that has to happen. And uh, I guess at the end of the day, it's better to have some coverage on ESPN Plus than, than no coverage at all. Yeah, I know this isn't, uh, we're, we're, we've talked about this subject a month ago when the deal was signed, or a month and a half ago, but I'm already hearing some feedback from contacts in, in the LA area. Now, LAFC's first two games have been on national television, so the local deal hasn't kicked in yet. I'm already hearing some feedback that some of those fans plan to just watch the game in Spanish rather than paying for YouTube TV because of the cost and because in some cases of the factors you were mentioning in terms of high speed, concern about buffering, concern about dropping. So um, maybe while we thought the YouTube deal and the uh, and now the ESPN Plus deal might be trendsetters, maybe they're coming a year or two too early. Well, time will tell. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's ahead of its time. I mean, the YouTube TV deal, uh, the challenge with that, like you said to Kartik, is the price has gone up. So it's gone up from, I think, $35 to $40 a month. And uh, for somebody who's just an LAFC fan that just just, just wants to watch uh, his or her team play and doesn't, you know, is not concerned about the other coverage, perhaps, uh, that's a lot of money to fork out. But um, yeah, the times there are changing. All right, so moving on, uh, Bean Sports is going to have some big games over this international break that's coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks. They're going to have Russia against Brazil and also, also uh, Italy against Argentina. Those friendlies are going to be played uh, in Europe, and uh, those games will be coming to Bean Sports live on Friday, March 23rd. So it'll be here before you know it. Great. Uh, big news this week. Uh MLS and Liga Mekis have formed a partnership where they'll start stage and annual Campones Cup uh, between the champions of each league. Uh, and the inaugural edition will be featuring Toronto FC against the winner of Liga Mekis Campeon de Campeones tournament. Now, this uh, we've had the Super League in the past, which took place in the summer. Uh, this might be a much, much bigger deal, this one-off match, which I think will be um, uh, well-received. And, and it's going to take place after the Mexican season uh, is back in full swing by about two months. And, and uh, during a part of the MLS season, Chris, where we see television ratings and interest generally decline until they pick back up right at the playoffs. So uh, not always from the television ratings department, but at least in fan interest. So the timing is also, I think, quite interesting and good. Oh, I should mention, sorry, I didn't mention the timing. It'll be September 19th this season. And generally the expectation is to have it in the middle of September every year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this game is played, Kartik, whether it's going to be more of a community shield feel or whether it's going to be more of a cup final feel. And a lot of it depends, too, on the the, the, the players that these teams will field, but also the, the timing of it, too, whether it be in September, mid, mid-September. Uh, is Toronto at that point uh, more c- uh, concerned about um, MLS Cup and resting, yeah. resting players, or are they going whole hog and, and trying to win this one? So... Um, it's a good move, regardless. But um, we'll have to wait and see how this plays out. The other thing, the other thing, too, Kartik, is that uh, Liga Mekis has uh, said that uh, the, the probably next year, 2019, they're going to have a all-star team that would play against Major League Soccer, presumably in uh, MLS's all-star game. That would be good, and that's something we've been asking for for a long time. 
Um, some, some positive moves there from both uh, Major League Soccer and Liga Mekis. Now, Kartik, uh, this week, uh, World Soccer Talk uh, launched a World Cup viewer's guide. Uh, it's available for free as a free download from worldsoccertalk.com. This is something I've been working on for the past uh, two to three months, uh, interviewing different executives uh, at the TV studios to find out all the details, everything from commentators uh, in terms of the schedule, uh, coverage in HD, replays, video on demand, going into all the detail that uh, you, the listener, probably wants to know about uh, the best way to watch uh, the World Cup this summer, and it's available for free from worldsoccertalk.com. I can't take uh, moving on to uh, let's move over to Spain. Yeah, Barcelona is requesting that the Copa del Rey. Uh, uh, knockout stages be be uh, changed to one game instant instant knockout format instead of uh, the two leg ties. Now that would of course help Barcelona in Europe uh, and in, in uh, other competitions. I don't know how that's going to go over. Honestly, it's it's been two legs, and uh, maybe it's an equalizer. Maybe it gives uh, a greater chance for for upsets. Uh, but the opposition team always wants a home leg, particularly if they get an additional game against Barcelona or Real Madrid. So we'll see one of those. Yeah, and so it sounds similar to uh, FA Cup too in terms of a lot of the clubs wanting, the bigger clubs wanting it just to be one game uh, rather than a replay. Um, but, but this yeah. would be with, with Copa del Rey, oftentimes it's, uh, it's two legs. So, but yeah, it's, uh, again, times are changing and maybe that, that'll uh, happen in Spain. So lastly, Kartik on the news segment, uh, according to a new study by a research group called Think Now, Fox Sports has its work cut out for it uh, to raise awareness about its World Cup coverage. Now, in this study that was done in November, where they uh, conducted it nationwide among Facebook users in the U.S. who are planning to watch the World Cup, 52% of non-Hispanics surveyed plan on watching the World Cup on ESPN. Now the big oh, problem. <laughs> yeah. The big problem is is that ESPN does not have the World Cup. Now uh, the numbers are very similar also to uh, for the Hispanics. So I believe it's about forty five percent of Hispanics uh, surveyed plan on watching the World Cup on Univision. So both Telemundo and Fox have a big issue, which is that uh, most fans don't even know that. Uh, who's going to be broadcasting the World Cup. And if you're a casual mainstream sports fan and you've been watching the ESPN World Cup since like, what, uh, 20, uh, actually 2006, right? Yeah. It, it's been a long time. You I mean, for, for o- over a decade watching it on ESPN, you're thinking probably, oh, of course, ESPN will have it again. Uh, to me, at the end of the day, what this means, Kartik, is that um, Fox really n- needs to do a major advertising campaign. And it is, there's no use advertising on Fox Sports 1 or, or FS2 saying, hey, we've got the World Cup. That audience already knows that Fox has got the World Cup. The, the issue is, is among uh, mainstream fans, you need to do a major campaign to let people know that Fox has the rights. We're going to be showing the, the, the games this summer. And same for Telemundo, which I, I know Telemundo is planning on having the world's, well, the U.S.'s largest uh, campaign ever advertising campaign for the World Cup. They've already made that commitment. So, uh, yeah, it's a, lo- a lot of work. And it's interesting uh, that the, these, these numbers say, say what they there, say. There's work, there's work for Telemundo also, because I think if you, if you pulled Spanish-language Spanish dominant uh, soccer fans, 
uh, Hispanics, you might uh, you might find similar results of people expecting to watch the World Cup on Univision. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. That, I think Telemundo has work cut out for them, and I expect Fox to advertise heavily on other cable channels uh, in in. in uh, in kind of the sweeps in, in uh, May, and we'll get to uh, uh, building up the, uh, the 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 World Cup audience for Fox and, and awareness that it's on Fox now on Fox and on FS1 in that period. So look look for ads in May. That's my hunch. I don't have any inside word on that, but that's what I think they probably will do uh, during sweeps week. But the challenge is, though, Kartik, is that fewer and fewer people are watching cable television. So that's uh, true too. Yeah, you know what I mean, the, the people that were surveyed were Facebook users. So that's somebody that might, you mean, watch YouTube. May have, uh, who knows what they have? Whether they're the cord cutters or cord nevers. Um, but that—that's, I mean, that, that's kind of the old model. It was okay. <laughs> go ahead and just do a blanket ad campaign yeah. on on cable, and and that'll reach everyone. But this is something that I, I think personally is that they need to look at everything from social media. I mean, Reddit, Facebook, uh, other places to advertise ma- or websites majorly that uh, the Fox has the World Cup. But uh, and the same thing for Telemundo too. They need to do the same thing too. Yeah, particularly with millennials. So I'll give you some political experience here. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in a uh, I was in a statewide race here in Florida uh, in, uh, mid October. A Democratic candidate, we ended up losing. Every Democrat lost that year. But um, I finally got advice from the media consultant. Hey, stop dumping money on television. We need to pull millennials out. It's a midterm election. Let's throw all our money on Google, Google ads and Facebook. Uh, and uh, I'll show you the analytics on this. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is ridiculous. You know, you, you advertise on uh on, on television and radio, particularly in, in the state of Florida, where the audience, where the, the, the voter base is older, right? It's an older state. But it worked to pull out millennials and kind of cut the margins to a certain extent. So even in politics, and I guess the Bernie Sanders campaign and Donald Trump campaigns probably all kind of specialized in that as well. So uh, you're right. I think that's the direction it's going. Hopefully. Hopefully that's the way it's going. All right. So let's move on to TV ratings, Kartik. Um, Some big numbers this past week. We had uh, 1.2 million people tuned in to watch uh, Club America against uh, Lyon on Univision and Univision Deporters Network on Saturday. Uh, Tigres against Tijuana, uh, 931,000 viewers. And then the biggest number from the English language speaking side was surprisingly was Bournemouth against Spurs which had 644,000 viewers on NBCSN and Telemundo. I think the, the difference on this one, Kartik, was uh, a lot of it's the timing of it. Uh, with the time changes happening uh, in the U.S., not in the U.K., uh, this game kicked off at noon on Sunday uh, to 2 p.m. Eastern. And I think uh, the Telemundo, which I think had about 200,000 viewers on that one, plus the NBCSN um, made, it, made it more favorable for, uh, for NBC there. Yeah, I think uh, this is a, a, a case where NBC will probably be unhappy that they lose one of the uh, the one Saturday uh, after the t- the time change, uh, where the, every kickoff would be an hour later uh, due to the international break. So they would have a, a game kicking off, the early game kicking off at eight thirty. They'd have a, a, a bunch of games kicking off at eleven Eastern t- time, and then. The final game at one thirty Eastern time, right? Uh, they're they're going to have that this Saturday. They'll lose that next week. That we've seen in the past. That week ratings uh, 
there's a bit of a bump when they get when the matches start later, which debunks the theory that a lot of MLS proponents have that uh, because the the Premier League is not going up against any sports competition, um, they that that the ratings are higher. Look, everybody has other things to do Saturday and Sunday morning than sit and watch football, honestly. And even you, I mean, you, you've got your kids. I've got other things going on that I, I make sacrifices to watch the Premier League or watch the Bundesliga on Saturday morning. So to 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 say, well, it's because there's no sporting competition. The only other thing on is cartoons is uh, is it, it, nonsense. Yeah, it's uh, for me too. I mean, for me, I have to make sacrifices to watch Major League Soccer. Uh, I, I guess it all depends on on each individual. I mean, I, and you I mean so for me, usually my afternoons and evenings are busier. I, I got more stuff going on, but then again, though too, I probably have framed my life around Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings, where my family knows that uh, oftentimes that's that's you mean that's uh, chris's time <laughs> but then again though too i mean that doesn't i mean there's there's soccer games on there's uh you mean errands there's parties there's birthday parties and things like that uh life does get in in, in the way sometimes but um i guess it's the whole appointment time viewing uh thing and and two big matches this uh, past weekend for a lot of our listeners Kartik would have been man united against liverpool on that Saturday morning, and then for um, on the Sunday, Atlanta against DC United. What are your thoughts about uh, the numbers, and uh, and also if you can share those numbers with uh, the listeners? Yeah, so I five hundred seventy six thousand for Atlanta DC United on ESPN. Great rating. I tweeted about it, saying, "Hey, look, it beat at least an English language, English language portion beat uh, the English language for every Premier League match this weekend," uh, but. I have, but I have to mention a couple things. One, I think Atlanta gets a, a natural bump. We saw that last season. We saw it again this year. Packed house. It engages people. People want to watch, right? Even though there's artificial turf, which bothers some of us. Um, second, there was a big college basketball game leading in, which was Kentucky and Tennessee, a game I was watching, and I had forgotten about the MLS game, but I was prepared to just watch Serie A after the basketball game was over. And ended up watching a little MLS along with the Serie I was watching. So that, I think, lead-in helped it. And college sports fans, as we talked about for years, um, and I've had a nice back and forth with Jack Bell, our former New York Times writer, uh, uh, after this rating was posted. College sports fans are more inclined to probably watch uh, soccer than uh American pro sports fans, because there's so many similarities in, in supporters and and uh, traveling fans and, and just the optics and, and passion around it, culture around it, correct? And then also, this was the SEC championship game, and we're talking about Atlanta United. So that there's also that natural correlation. There's no bigger SEC city than Atlanta. In fact, the SEC title game is usually in Atlanta, would have been at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, I think typically if Atlanta United hadn't been playing. They used to play that at the Georgia Dome uh, yeah. every year. So two, um, two, two there was that natural correlation. Yeah, two, two things on that real quick, Kartik, too, is that definitely the timing helped. But I, I must give credit to ESPN, though, too, because this is the second week in a row where I've been entertained during halftime. I mean, I watched, again, uh, the first week it was the ESPN FC bus where they interviewed uh, Bob Bradley for... Uh, for that that interview, uh, but but this one it was uh, Brad Guzan uh, in the ESPN bus, uh, and also we talked. We I forgot to mention too, even from last week from the LAFC Seattle game, having uh, Will Farrell 
on, you mean, being interviewed, joking around. I mean, ESPN, ESPN definitely is trying really, really hard to make a difference, to not be predictable. And that's my issue with Fox's coverage, whether it's MLS or Champions League. It's so predictable. It's so scripted. You know almost exactly what's going to happen at what moment. And it's just, it's just you mean, it, I'm sick of watching it. But um, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that um, why isn't NYCFC or uh, New York Red Bulls getting these numbers? I mean, Atlanta's definitely an a, a exciting team and you mean, a great support. But these are big numbers for Atlanta. And why aren't, why isn't the, the New York area getting some of these big numbers too for these games are on ESPN you know, on a su- Sunday? Why uh, doesn't MLS, ex- MLS just accept this? I mean, I've been having this battle with people for six or seven years. In those days, it was about Portland and Seattle. And it still would be uh, about Portland and Seattle. Because Seattle will get... On, on the whole, better national numbers than the LA Galaxy or New York FC or uh, New York Red Bulls. Why does it have to, why can't they just accept that there's some smaller markets, not small markets, smaller markets, uh, still large markets. In the case of Atlanta, it's still a huge market. In the case of Seattle, it's a medium-sized market that draw, that their teams drive a national audience and national interest greater than the teams in New York and LA. Uh, this is part of MLS's mindset. They don't quite get it. And part of the thing of being in New York and having all their executives in New York is I don't think they quite get the, the, the culture around college sports, which is largely a Midwestern and Southeastern phenomena, and how that can drive uh, support for clubs. Uh, now, Atlanta United and Orlando City are two clubs that I think have benefited from the college football culture in their cities, in their areas. And Football, European football being the closest thing to college football uh, in a global sense. And then thinking, okay, now we have one of our own type of European football clubs. Uh, And that, I think, is part of what drives the television ratings for Atlanta and the interest locally in Atlanta and Orlando. So there are lessons to be learned. The one thing we have learned through the years, though, Chris, is MLS does is pragmatic. They change their marketing philosophy regularly, although they have never quite given up on this this theory of theirs that they have to be big players in the Los Angeles market and in the New York market. And to this point, maybe LAFC changes it a bit, but to this point, they have not been successful at that. Yeah, I think I think the New York side is more about the advertising, kind of all these big brands, all these big companies, and they, they want to have a huge presence in the New York area. Um, and that could make uh, some big differences, um, sponsorship or advertising-wise. Uh, it should make a difference uh, TV market-wise, but for whatever reason, uh, people are not tuning in to to watch these uh, New York games uh, when they're nationally televised. So 576 uh, for Atlanta, DC United. Yeah. Uh, and then Man United against Liverpool had 594,000 viewers. Uh, this was on NBCSN and Telemundo on the Saturday at the 730. I, I thought this was a good number, Kartik. Uh, it's uh, you mean a 430 in the morning uh, Pacific time yeah. uh, broadcast and um, I think that's strong for, for a Saturday early kickoff Yeah I, I think uh, though there is a, a bit of a Mourinho factor with uh, Man, some Man United supporters who at that time in the morning may not have gotten up and watched the entire game because they were expecting some sort of dire football might have been stunned when they did wake up and see it was 2-0 Yeah 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 it was, it was an entertaining game though I, I think uh yeah, but, but, but <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. Um, 
hopefully Man United support it. I, I, I mean, this is this, this to me. I mean, going back to what you said in, in the intro uh, of the show is that to me, Man United against Liverpool, there is no bigger match in England. That if you're a Man United supporter, all you want to do is beat Liverpool. I mean, that's that's the goal, right. and vice versa. If you're a Liverpool fan, all you want to see is uh, your team beat Man United. It's such a hated uh, rivalry between the two clubs and between the two fan bases that uh, it'll often draw big numbers, even if the game isn't that good. This one was a good one, and I think the number was pretty decent. If one of these years Leeds gets back into the Premier League, we might test that theory. But right now, yeah, it is the biggest. Right. I just uh, Le- Leeds Man United is is at least historically big, yeah. almost as big for the fans. Maybe not in terms of titles, but uh, that's another huge derby that we never get to see, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, and Leeds keep on slipping. They always look like they're going to go up, and then they just slip. Yeah. Uh, so let's. Yeah. Let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, we've got uh, one comment here from uh, ZZ Average Geek ZZ, uh, who sent in this tweet. He says, uh, "Turf in Major League Soccer is interesting," and this goes to- talking about last week's uh, topic. I think where we talked about uh, turf, and he says that uh, I read Portland and Seattle both have the same brand. It comes down to maintenance in its playability, which is interesting. I mean, it's uh, to me, it's an instant turnoff. When I, I turn on, whether it's um, I mean Atlanta or or Seattle or some of the Portland uh, and other places where it is uh, astroturf, it is an instant turn turn off. But uh, if if true, that is interesting in terms of uh, the maintenance of the turf and the playability, which uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if if that is true. So, listeners, if you do have any questions for us, any feedback, anything you disagree with or agree with, and you want, you want to talk to us about. Uh, we'd love to read out those comments on air. You can send those to web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can tweet us at worldsoccertalk or message us on Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. Now, Kartik, uh, we've got an interview, an exclusive interview with Andres Cantor from Telemundo Deportes that uh, I want to share with you, the listeners. And um, this was just such a delightful uh, discussion with him. And I think if you get, get, give this interview a chance, it's, uh, it's about 10 minutes long. It's pre- pretty short, but gives you an idea in terms of how passionate this man is about the sport and how much of a great fit he is for Telemundo and, and how much he really, really enjoys the game of, of soccer. And I think that's something that comes through uh, in this interview. It comes through in his commentary and his broadcast uh, for Telemundo. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing his goal calls uh, this summer in the World Cup uh, on Telemundo Deportes. So enjoy the interview with Andres Cantor. What are your memories of, of your first World Cup you commentated? Which, which was the first one? The first one I commentated on, on TV was 1990, even though the first one I covered was 1986 for a uh, magazine in Argentina called El Grafico. Okay. Which okay. was like the sports rival in Spanish and all Latin America. The first memory was, uh, I don't know, just being able to, to call a World Cup on television was something that I, I always... I never dreamt because I wanted to be a sports writer. Right. Yeah. I was a sports writer, and I got the chance to work in, in television. And I was just like, pretty much like playing. And you know, like I always say, I, I as much as the players wait for the World Cup every four years, and mm-hmm. I'm very excited that this is happening a hundred days away. So, what for you would be a dream final? Well, the dream final for all Argentinians is Argentina Brazil. Sure. We almost had it four years ago in, in, in Maracana. 
so they could meet each other if they both win win their groups you know they don't uh, get to play against each other until the final so that could be right. a, yeah. a great dream final yeah. so what, what about your contract with, with Telemundo is it for all three World Cups or is it it's uh, no not for not until 2026 but for the next two for sure Okay. and then we'll see we'll see what happens and, and do you know as far as kind of who the commentating team is going to be for the World Cup final uh, who, who will be joining you in the final uh, Manuel Sol is usually my color commentator, yeah. but then uh, you know we ha we will have the flexibility of adjusting the tremendous amount of talent that we have, right. depending on who makes uh, you know the the knockout phase. Sure. So if uh, Uruguay, if I get to go a game from Uruguay, I'm pretty sure going to have Forlan next to me or Abreu. Mm -hmm. If uh, Argentina is in it, I will probably have Juan Pablo Sorin. Okay. If uh, Mexico is in it, I will probably have Chicho Ramirez. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so forth. So lots of flexibility. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. Have you had a chance to go to, to Russia to... Yeah, well, you were there, I, I've been there five times. So what about the stadiums so in terms of the, the commentary position, the gantries? I mean, is it I mean, top class? Yes, top class. Top class. I, I've been to... Uh, I've been there five times already since okay. the last World Cup. I find that, you know, Russia is a very westernized country. With, I mean, it's it, it has the... The feel that you're in Europe while you're in Russia. Right. Uh, the all the stadiums I've been to are, are really really nice. Uh -huh. um, the one of them I think has the commentary position is a little bit high. I forget which. I think it was Kazan, but the stadium is not that big, so it's not right. that bad. Right. Uh, everything that I've seen so far is uh, is excellent. I mean the. The, the stadiums are either brand new or refurbished, so yeah. they're, they're they're very very good to, to work. The work environment to for us is is going to be great, and for the spectators as well, because you can see the game from any you know from the last row of the stadium. Right. Uh, you will be able to see a, a good match. And the last question I, I have is, uh, what does it make you feel like when you know that there's English speaking uh, people out there, soccer fans who don't speak a word of Spanish, but tune in to watch games because you're the commentator? First of all. I feel, uh, you know, uh, a great sense of responsibility because I know that there's people that turn to us, and this happened in 1994 and 98, because they uh, share, no, or they. You know, they, they like the way we call the games with so much passion. Mm -hmm. So I have uh, a great deal of responsibility, not only because of that, because what I've been told from the people that stop me in the streets or that, you know, nowadays interact with you on social media is not only is it the passion that I bring to the game by the way I call it, it's the fact that I mention the player's name every time one touches the ball. Mm -hmm. Where right. in yeah. other styles of play-by-play -play, there are, you know, lots of minutes of silence right. while the ball is being tossed around. So, if, yeah. you know, let's say I'm doing a Guardiola game and they tie over a Barcelona game where they touch the ball back and forth, you know, 20 uh -huh. times between, I don't know, Iniesta and Busquets. I'll say Iniesta, Busquets, Iniesta, Busquets. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I will obviously try to to enhance, uh, not to become monotonous, you know, right. with stats and this and that, yeah. but at least, you know, the, the, the viewers will know who carries the ball, who has the... Right. the the ball at its feet 
and so forth. At, uh, which, you know, which, which for the viewer is, is hypnotic in, in a good way because right. it, I mean, Martin Tyler does that too in terms of playing the color, sure. the color names and it adds small value to the game. I think it really pulls you into the game to concentrate who, who's, who has a ball or where, sure. where, where he's moving or... Yeah, yeah. So. and uh, then, you know, I, I live the game with a lot of passion. I mean, every World Cup game for me is like the World Cup finals. Right. I have lots of finals ahead and I'm looking really forward to it. Excellent. Well, Andres, thank you so much. Thank you. Good to see you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Congratulations. All right, Kartik. So uh, if listeners want to uh, find out where you are on Twitter and uh, latest interviews, articles, uh, uh, analysis, discussion, etc., where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, find me on Twitter at KKFLA737. All right. Well, so thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. And if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. And Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football. 